You're listening to the Topco Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Topco. Business Unusual. Welcome to another edition of uh, Topco Business Unusual podcast. Today I'm joined by Sean Summers, the CEO of, um, oh, what's your name? Revix. Uh, Sean, Revix. Um, but you're not just uh, the founder or the CEO of Revix. You're also um, entrepreneur, multiple entrepreneur, um, investor, actor, runner, model. Yes, quite a few different Everything. things. Uh, yeah, quite a few different things. I mean, I suppose right now I am the founder and CEO of Revix, and that's pretty much all I've got time for uh, with some running on the side. But in the past, yeah, I've dabbled in some acting, dabbled in some modeling, uh, sort of was fortunate enough to do that to get me into crypto. Um, so, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm sure we're going to get into all of that today, but it's been a hell of a ride. As you can imagine, the last six, seven months in crypto has been something that no one could have predicted. I mean, sitting here today with what, 55,000 odd Bitcoin, $55,000 of Bitcoin that is. I mean, it's crazy. It's it's just super exciting. I mean, I was saying uh, two or three years ago, we'd see a million rand of Bitcoin within the next five years. And people were saying like, you bloody crazy. Um, and I was saying, well, corporates are going to buy Bitcoin. They've gone, out, they've gone out and they've just done that. And now we're saying, well, central banks are going to be buying crypto. And I think you'll have some people watching or listening that are going to go, no, that's crazy. They're not going to do that. So let's wait two years or a year or so and let's see where that goes. Yeah, it's crazy ride, eh? Crazy yeah. ride. If only we had one of those time machines, we go back in time. How many people would be buying crypto now? Uh, but but so, look, I, little, I, I invested a little bit in Bitcoin um, way back and I've got friends that did really well. And I've spoken to a number of, like leading authorities, banks and finance guys. And, and I've asked them sort of where do they see things going? Um, and it seems that organizations and regulators want a piece of it as opposed to <laughs> um, not necessarily investing in Bitcoin. Are you seeing that as well? Are you seeing that trend towards like Facebook started up their own little crypto thing there. It didn't really take off. I think MasterCard and those guys sort of pulled out a little bit, but there's, what do yeah. you see the future? So, I mean, of course, if you look at PayPal's recent results, they made a lot of money uh, from crypto this last quarter. The same as Square. Uh, so Square's Cash App, which allows you to buy and sell a variety of different cryptocurrencies. I mean, Square printed an incredible amount of money this last quarter. And I say printed because it really is just, you know, crypto trading. So they're just facilitating essentially a gateway to another exchange, actually. So these companies are making a ton of cash from the, the transactional side of crypto. And I think now the next sort of stepping stone is what PayPal is sort of offering, which is actually for merchants to be able to accept cryptocurrency and for cryptocurrency to be converted from US dollars, pounds, yen, rands, you name it, into, uh, well, I guess from, sorry, from cryptocurrency into one of these local uh, currencies, which is, you know, that's really powerful because all of a sudden crypto then can be used alongside any other currency that, you know, somebody wants to use. But where is the space going? Of course, corporates are going to enter, regulators are going to come down hard 
And I think in two or three years time, you're going to see a far more mature industry than what you see now. Crypto is known for being sort of like the wild, wild west, right? You've got a lot of people. Um, I have to compare it, I suppose, to like the late 90s with internet, right? People were super confused. You're talking about like email and people are like, what are you talking about email? That's like the super weird thing. And now it's part of everyday life. Um, and I think if you're looking at blockchain technology, which is sort of stemmed from crypto, and a lot of people say blockchain, right? And they're like, yeah, blockchain technology, but they've got no clue how it works. And I encourage everyone that's watching or that's listening to understand that because it's not actually, you don't have to understand how blockchains work. That's not really that important. Like, I don't think many people understand how HTTPS works or, you know, any of the other sort of internet security um, procedures and all the rest work. But what I think people should understand is what blockchain can do, just like what the internet can do and has done. And I think that's really the big opportunity in the space. And I think a lot of uh, bigger financial institutions, they are starting to see the threat that uh, blockchain and cryptocurrency and even central banks are starting to see the threat as well um, of what this new disruptive technology can offer. And I think, well, yeah, they the want opportunity. to Yeah. For well, the opportunity. And I mean, talking about that, because I remember my friends started telling me about Bitcoin and Ethereum and I was like, hey, what is all this sort of stuff? I had no idea. And he actually sent me to a podcast that was about two hours. I've forgotten who it was. He sent me the link. I mean, is there, a is there anything in terms of blockchain that you think, is there any books or is there any um, podcasts or links that you think are worthwhile people sort of investigating that you've seen that defines it really easily? Definitely. I would recommend uh, looking up 99 Bitcoins on YouTube. They've got a website as well. But I mean, their, <clears throat> their explanations just on how blockchain works, what blockchain does, what Bitcoin is, what Ethereum is, what a smart contract is. I mean, all the jargon that you hear today, they just break it down and it's incredibly simple. I mean, I think once you've gone through, let's call it like the level one rabbit hole and you land on level two, that's when things also then kind of go into your own hands. You need to go and say, listen, I want to learn more about a particular area of crypto. And then you go buy a book or you go watch some webinar online. Um, I think it's a case of you being slightly obsessed and then getting more obsessed as you sort of deal with this area. I mean, it is super weird, right? I think that's that's something that you, we can't take away from the crypto space. But part of that weirdness, I think, aligns with the future because the future is going to be weird, right? I mean, if you went back 10, 15 years and you said that a bunch of people are going to be running around taking pictures of themselves, posting it online and getting paid to do that, you'd probably be like, yeah, come on, like that doesn't happen. Yeah, we are today with influences and yeah, so the, the, the future is going to be weird and crypto is, I think, going to be a very big part of that. They got that, they got that picture of the the guy with the phone and the, you know, the camera and all the gadgets that are actually now in a phone. And so like, you know, yeah. that's the future, right? All those things you'd carry around and buy before you're in one little device now. So yeah. look, I, I think that we really want to get into Revix and sort of what you're doing and the funding you're getting and, and how you're doing it. It's almost like index funding for cryptos. Like I, I get that completely and I can see that's really interesting. And you must have got some inspiration from Buffett and the guys with index funds and whatever, I'm sure. Um, but I mean, just talking about you as well, because you've got to this point, you've taken a big leap of faith. You said you went down a rabbit hole um, and you mentioned that in your bio as well. And that's quite an interesting thing. So it's almost like, you know, what what's creating this intrigue? And so, you know, we spoke earlier and you were telling about your entrepreneurial journey. And I asked you, you know, is, is that something that comes from your father or your mother or your, you know, your family? So, you know, maybe get into that quickly. It'd be great to hear sort of your story. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to jump around a little bit because it'll, I think, allow me to put together the broader puzzle a little bit better. 
So I've been an entrepreneur since I was very young. I sold stickers, skateboarding stickers and all the rest when I was 12, 13, made a fair amount of money doing that. I kind of put a markup on supplements when I was a little bit older. I went to an old boys school. Uh, these guys wanted to get big. So I essentially helped them buy their proteins and their creatines and all this jazz, but, you know, all sourced internationally. So that was my, my sort of first import business, uh, which did fairly well as well. Um, I started poker club in high school, poker and blackjack club. Um, that was a hell of a lot of fun. I kind of really just enjoyed the maths behind that because I've always been sort of a quant. Um, and then I think a really interesting endeavor, which I never spoke to you about before, Ralph, was actually around uh, sort of this opportunity that presented itself when I was 19. And this is what got me into crypto. And I, I, I have not found a more interesting sort of foray into crypto than this story. So I was picked up to do, so I wanted to be a rugby player, right? I was like the nerd that landed up being pretty good at running fast and catching balls and putting balls over try lines, right? So that put me as wing and I did pretty well at rugby from that. Um, I was also very good at being injured. So I was like as good at being injured as I was at playing rugby. And uh, in my first year out of high school, I sort of was trialing out UCT and saying, okay, right, do I want to go to UCT and do my business science degree there? Um, and I started going through the first few months there. Or, and the idea was really to go over and play full-time um, somewhere in the UK. So either going to Saracens or, you know, potentially even going to like, you know, um, maybe Leeds or one of the other rugby clubs there. And fortunately, I got injured really early uh, during that year. And I say fortunately, obviously back then I was devastated because I had all these opportunities and all the rest. But when I was injured, I got picked up at the Rugby Sevens actually here in Cape Town. Um, and I got approached and somebody said to me, listen, do you want to do a men's health cover shoot? And I was like, oh, what are you talking about? Like men's health cover shoot, that's not something that you can actually do. And he was like, no, dead serious. I'd love you to be part of the shoot. Um, you know, somebody's pulled out, please, you know, meet next week, give me your number. And I was like, oh no, this is, you know, something that's not going to end like with a cover or anything like that. But anyway, I went ahead did this shoot next second landed the South African cover landed the Turkish cover landed the American cover and it just became this really big thing and I was like oh wow just out of nowhere from rugby dude that's fit and byproduct and obviously landed up you know getting a men's health cover awesome um, and then from that I got approached by a few modeling agencies uh, from around the world and they asked me to travel around um, do some acting gigs do some modeling gigs and it was super cool I was earning more money and that's still actually true today believe it or not uh, even with founding Revix and raising $4.1 million and all the rest, I was earning more money when I was 19 modeling than I have ever since earned, which is just nuts. But anyway, 19 year old traveling around the world and I meet all these really uh, interesting models and actor, actors and actresses. Um, interesting in the sense that they had you know, a lot of talents in other areas, but they just did not have any financial knowledge of where to put their money. And they're earning a lot of money. I mean, you're talking between two to three to 4,000 euros a day and they're working five days a week and they're just leaving their money with the different agencies around the world. So little entrepreneurial Sean popped up and, you know, studying finance and like just got into this like modeling thing. Well, hell, I can have like a side business. So I essentially put together a fund that enabled models to invest in various assets, some in property, some in uh, stocks and all the rest. And in the space of about six or seven months, I'd raised 28 million Rand from different models and if you think about this, take a 19 year old, take 28 million Rand and investing, like this was not a good idea. Um, certainly not in hindsight, but anyway, did that. And one of the models that had invested at that point in time, about 6 million Rand with me said, listen, she wants to like sell out of her investment that's based in the United Kingdom. And she wants to buy a property over in New York. 
And I'm going, okay, great. Like, how do I move this money? I have no clue. I'm sitting at that point. I was back in South Africa. We've got exchange controls. You can't just bring the money back. I mean, no bank's going to accept a really big payment like that without a lot of questions. So my initial assumption was like, okay, well, is there a way to actually send this, you know, just you know, without any friction and for a low cost? And I came across this Bitcoin thing and I didn't think anything of it, but I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to move some money using Bitcoins. So I tested it out. It worked. Fantastic. Um, and I landed up moving uh, that entire amount of money using Bitcoin. And I never thought anything of it. I was like, oh, this is cool. I, I didn't really understand how Bitcoin worked, um, but I managed to liquidate the funds. I think I made a small profit from that move and she got her money on the other side. And that kind of got something ticking over, even if it was subconscious more than anything else. Um, and fortunately, my parents sort of caught wind of this fund that I had started because I knew that if I had disclosed it to them, both of them financial professionals, that if they knew what I was doing, they were going to tell me to stop right away. Um, and that's exactly what they did when they did find out like sort of the amount of money that I was playing with. So yeah, that's, I guess, the foray into crypto really. Um, and it was like something that I didn't really touch after that, but a little bit of an overview sort of, you know, I studied uh, a Bachelor of Business Science at UCT. I did my honors. I finished up with Magnum Cum Laude. So while doing my modeling stuff, earning great cash, I managed to like focus a lot on studying because funny enough, when you're a model, you don't actually work that much. Um, I wish my job was like, was like that now. Well, not really, but sort of. Um, and went off to do my CFA. I finished up my CFA, got uh, all my all three exams done in 18 months and try to just, you know, I lost two girlfriends during that process because you do become sort of obsessed with that. You got the look. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that was, that was that process. I started working for a specialty investment group in Johannesburg. I worked for a hedge fund based in the U S for six months as a remote trader, realized that trading wasn't for me. Uh, I then started my own proprietary <laughs> trading firm called Satire. So this was now taking the modeling structure that I had in place and actually uh, just making it a lot more formal and legalized and all the rest. And when I say legalized, I mean, it's not that it was illegal before, but certainly with the right risk control procedures and all the rest. So I uh, did pretty well with that, made some decent cash. We did everything and I had two co-founders in that business, but did everything from buying and selling koi fish to buying and selling Hermes handbags to listed stocks to private companies. So it had a lot of fun um, sort of playing around in that. Realized that it wasn't really scalable. So while fun, it wasn't something that I wanted to do on a full-time basis. Um, I worked for a family office based in the UK as well for a short period of time. Family office really is just uh, a company, if you want to call it that, where there's a really wealthy guy that needs somebody to manage his money for him, needs a you know, legal partner and all the rest. So I got exposed to some really high net worth, smart individuals while working there. Um, and that sort of led me to another business endeavor, which was Blocktree Capital. So Blocktree Capital was another fund that I struck, that we set up, uh, me and another co-founder. And the idea was at that point in time, actually to offer alternative assets, in particular cryptocurrencies as an investable category. And this is now 2015. So offering crypto back then was incredibly difficult, right? I mean, you would go to even some of the more remote places, call it Guernsey, BVI, uh, Isle of Man. And you say to them, we are generally quite forward thinking when it comes to setting up fund structures and all the rest. You say to the regulators there, listen, we want to set up a fund where people can invest in digital assets. And they're like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like go somewhere else. I don't want to, like, boy, stop playing around with me kind of thing. Just like leave me alone. So anyway, landed up uh, 
struggling through that, set up the fund, raised a few million dollars from various investors, but it wasn't something as well that was scalable. It was painful to go through. Um, and again, I saw this opportunity of people wanting to move into the space, but the, the structures and more like the, the, the various regulatory structures, uh, custody solutions and stuff just weren't in place. But that did allow me to sort of see the opportunity for Revix. So in a nutshell, I mean, what Revix really allows people to do is we allow people to buy and sell baskets of cryptocurrencies. So instead of just buying Bitcoin or just buying Ethereum or just buying Litecoin, which is essentially like gambling, um, you, you wouldn't go out and just buy individual stocks. You go and you buy a diversified basket, a predefined basket of cryptocurrencies. So like the JSE top 40 or the Satrix top 40 or the S&P 500 or something like that. And that's essentially what we offered with Revix. And the idea was simple. It was to say, listen, we are going to provide an effortless way to invest in a diversified basket of cryptocurrencies. And in the traditional investing world, you've seen a lot of money move from active funds where people are actively managing your money to passive funds that just look to track sort of an index in the market. And I was like, well, hold, let's apply this to crypto. I mean, Bitcoin seems to be the gateway drug, but then once people have bought Bitcoin, they always want to buy other cryptocurrencies. And that's what we did. And I mean, there's a lot of history, I suppose, involved in that. But from there, we've you know grown today to you know have over 25 staff members. Uh, we've raised over 4.1 million dollars quite recently, and Revix is now definitely going well beyond just the world of crypto. So what we are doing next, and I think this is now the, the next really big exciting chapter in sort of my life, uh, is we are going to be launching a variety of thematic-based investments. So what I mean by thematic-based investments, it means that if you want to invest in, say, AI, biotech, 5G technology, renewable energy, um, you know, any of these like really fast emerging areas that you're probably going, well, how do I actually do that? Well, that's sort of where we want to come in and assist you to invest in these areas. So that's sort of like the next evolution of Revix's growth. So all the crypto symbols that you see behind me will sort of become, uh, you know, medical cannabis and there'll be a whole bunch of other products sort of pulled into that, which is quite exciting. So in a nutshell, well, that wasn't quite a nutshell, but in, the, in a good little elevator pitch, that was, that's me. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so, and, and that stuff's sort of on your website as well, I saw that, and I suppose it's really interesting. I suppose the, the diversification from where you are at the moment into crypto, because, I mean, that's quite a hot topic. Are you looking at the risks with the regulators and seeing should, we've got to also um, reposition? Because I think one thing's really clear about you is that you're happy to move and shift into where opportunities are lying. Um, where, where does that come from? Where's that? Because like you were telling me earlier about your dad, he's more of a financial guy and your mum's also in the finance. And, and that seems like more stable, orientated, safe. So where did this, it, this, this person who's happy to just adapt and sort of move, where did that come from? I would love to be able to answer that. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. I... I think you get people that like risk and are comfortable with risk, and then you get people that aren't. And there's different types of risk, right? I mean, there's financial risk, there's risks with your health. I mean, I would never go and do base jumping or something like that, right? I'm like, I would say I'm like a high risk guy, but I wouldn't do that. You've got some crazy individuals that would. Um, you've got some people that'll go and invest in crypto, and you've got some people that'll go and, you know, they won't even invest in stocks. They'll go invest in bonds and all these like really secure investments. So I can't really say where it comes from. I think for me, it was a case of like, I love entrepreneurship. I mean, I wake up every single day, the business that I've built, uh, or that should I say we've built at Revix, has, it's my dream come true, right? Three, four years ago, I was like praying to have this happen, sort of the crypto market blow up in the way that it has, to have a business that's growing as quickly as what Revix is growing, to have raised the money that we've raised. And now it's happened and now you're like, okay, now what? And like all of a sudden the bar just gets pushed a little bit higher 
and you push yourself a little bit more. So I think it's the thrill because the other funny thing is, so we raised 4.1 million, right? And like, this was again, like it fills up the oxygen tank. I always talk about like, you know, not having funding, like, you know, an oxygen tank kind of running out and you're really feeling like that it's run out and you're being stressed about it and all the rest. And then when you've raised it, it's like, cool. Uh, next thing, like what's the next goal? And that's what I think is my thrill. It's kind of like that uncertainty of waking up and being like, okay, right, what do we do next? And it doesn't matter what business endeavor. I mean, sure, money is a nice outcome, uh, but it really is about that journey. And I think that for me is like the most fun and the biggest part of business really. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that journey, but I mean, your journey sort of, it adds up in other areas as well. Like your first investors, I'm not sure if it was your first investors, Savvest. Yeah, were they your first, first investors. investors and you worked there so I mean there's there's something to be said for relationships because you're a model you're going around the world no one knows you from a bar or so they're giving you money 28 million as a 19 year old like what what do you think the principles of of getting that sort of money do you think it was starting small with the stickers do you think it was your confidence because I think there's that sense of belief like you get what you want so you can have a goal, but you've got to feel you're worthy to get that thing. So do you think it was those small steps that you took initially of, of, of creating wealth and creating opportunities through the stickers, through the supplements, then through the gambling? Yeah. So I think uh, that for me, and again, everyone's going to be slightly different, but for me, there's no bigger privilege than one of my very close friends being able to turn to me and say, hold it like, the moment you are not doing something crazy with your life, like you're not starting a new business or you, I don't know, not pursuing whatever it may be. Like, I would love you to work for me. That for me is like the biggest privilege. It's like the, the biggest compliment somebody could give me. And uh, you can probably think about your own friendship circle and who you would like to employ. And I mean, you know, this person in and out, you've seen them on that Saturday night when they're ridiculously drunk. Um, you've seen them at their finest moments, their worst moments, you name it. And for me, that's sort of what I like to, in my best way sort of adhere to like I want my closest people in my life to be like just this guy works his ass off he's smart he does all these different things and like I think that's maybe what I've done before I mean from a modeling standpoint uh, most models during a shoot or during like you know some sort of recording they would be sitting on their phones or like chatting away I mean I was studying right I was doing my CFA I was um, I was you know doing my university degree I was like doing advanced statistics uh, while sitting on set and like when somebody sees that again they're like okay maybe you know, this guy is not quite, I don't know, not the same as maybe the other person that's sitting here. So I think they trust me from that standpoint. And with Sabvest, I mean, I had this competition. I mean, the CEO of Sabvest, Chris Seabrook, uh, we've gone, you know, 10 years on this journey together since I started at Sabvest. Um, he's an incredible guy, probably the smartest man I've ever worked with and also one of the hardest men I've ever worked with. And I remember I very arrogantly said sort of on the first day that I was there in a joking way, but I said it was sort of arrogant. I was like, no one works harder than me and I guarantee you, I will outread you. I'll, you know, outwork you, blah, blah, blah. And he laughed and it wasn't the laugh like, Haha. it was like, mm. <laughs> like, okay. And he outworked me. He completely, he showed me how it was done because he would be in super early. Um, and it wasn't also just the number of hours. It was the intensity of work. Like he was so passionate about what he does. He loved what he did every single day, whether it was a crisis in one of these businesses or managing 15 different things. He just, he kind of, you know, really got the thrill out of being involved in all these different things. I learned a lot from that. Um, and I wake up every single day again, like there's ideas on my mind when I'm running, you name it. So it all kind of comes together and it, like, it allows you to do something that you're really passionate about. For sure. But I mean, obviously you've had 
something within you that's driving you as well to so I've noticed that you've, you've had sort of a role, but you've also set up a business. And then when one business is sort of, as it's closing, you're setting up another one. What's driving that agenda? What's, what's, what's that? What's, what's driving that? <laughs> you know, this is, that's a very good question. I'm not sure to be honest. I think with myself, uh, something that somebody pointed out, which is quite interesting. And again, everyone's different, right? But like with me, I have call it Michael Schumacher syndrome. Like, I want to be the best. I want to push myself and I want to surprise myself. And the moment you do that, the moment you come first in anything, like that's not enough. Then you want to do something else. So it's almost like this constant game of like wanting to improve in different areas. And it does, in some cases, it can obviously be unhealthy. I mean, you don't want to be competing with everyone for the rest of your life. Like that's a bit silly. And there's certain areas, I think Simon Sinek talks about this quite nicely, how there's finite and infinite games. Um, finite games, known players, known rules, et cetera, et cetera. And then infinite games like life, uh, business in many respects, there aren't known players, there aren't known rules, there's no way to necessarily win. And I think it's important to be able to sort of identify between the two. Um, but for me, it is this like constant case of being able to like, you know, increase revenue. And certainly if somebody tells me I can't do something, I think this is maybe the premise around everything that I do, but if somebody tells me I can't do something, there is nothing that'll make me want to do it more. Like there's a problem there, there I should go see a psychiatrist or psychologist or something. But that's for me really what like, kind of gets me going. I think, I think I was about 15, maybe 16. My dad bought us all rings. We, we have a saying in the family. It's called, it can be done and we can do it. And so it's probably something that most entrepreneurs have is this fixation with any challenge, right? So yeah. if you think it can't be done, well, give it to me because I'm going to show you it can be bloody done. And I suppose yeah. it came through with your, your early Bitcoin endeavors. It did. I mean, fortunately, and look, don't get me wrong, like you're just seeing like a good end to the story. Well, good middle part of the story or even starting point of the story. But there's many other endeavors. And I mean, there was a dark period. I mean, remember, I was building Revex during this crypto winter, right? So we're like, oh, post-2017, prices have plummeted. I leave this nice paying executive finance job uh, with my own PA to go and start. I and mean, this, this guy that's like 25 at that point in time, he's got his PA, like, oh, look how cool he's like, he's got the life and whatever. And he has me going into like this cryptocurrency market that's been absolutely decimated. I mean, everyone that I spoke to was like, oh, you're making such a mistake. But it's sort of, you have to just believe in what you're doing. I think that's really top advice. I mean, I was given it many times over. It's like, there are so many different areas that you can focus on. It's just a matter of timing um, and persistence. And I mean, those are the two areas really from like a, if you're looking at like a function of what Dean, what makes success, it's a bit of luck. It's a little, that's obviously circumstance, but you need to sort of put yourself there as well. And um, so, yeah, and I think being obsessed and having a lot of grit to get to a certain objective and being very clear about what their objective is. Um, I think that's been one of the sort of ingredients to my success. And I think another thing, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, in my opinion, sitting at like, you know, one out of 10 of what I want to achieve in my life. So when I say my success, it's my one out of 10 that I want to get to. Um, and that is, again, like, I'm a, I think I'm a very ambitious person. And it's a case of always like wanting more, which can be quite unhealthy, I think, sometimes. So you've got to sort of balance between the two. Yeah, I've, I've had that bug. So, I mean, what have you found as the biggest challenge so far? for you in building the organization up that you've had to either overcome or you're still grappling with? Uh, one thing I completely underestimated was scaling a business. So I always thought, fantastic. You know, we get 100 customers, cool. Then I mean, to get 1,000 customers, you hire 10 times the number of staff or you, you, know, you do something and you're able to deal with that. 
Uh, no, that's not how it works. And I mean, we've gone from having 100 customers, 1,000 customers, 10,000 customers, onto 100,000 customers. And it's like, holy hell, scaling is not just hiring more people. It means that every process you have, whether it be like doing deposit recons to say, listen, customers have made 20 million rands of deposits yesterday. Are we accounting for those deposits? Are we making sure that there's no theft within the system? Are we making sure that no one's trying to hack the system or gamify the system? So putting all these controls in place that becomes incredibly challenging. And I mean, you can think about any business that scales. If it's a food delivery business, you've got to make sure that customers are happy. You've got to make sure that all of that's done on scale um, and that people are being onboarded while you're doing that. So that's something I've completely underestimated. Uh, it's incredibly challenging. And I think it's those awesome things with business where you do underestimate just how challenging something is uh, that you get humbled by. And you're like, oh, that was, you know, I've learned so much from this experience. Like I can go to another startup and I can be like, do not be overconfident about scaling. Like there are people out there that, you know, it's fine to get product market fit. And then as soon as you start scaling, your business falls apart or you like start, you know, getting terrible reviews. And I think a good example as well is like every time you go to a big bank um, and banks are just terrible generally, but every time you go to a big bank or, a, you know, any big business and you're like, oh, the customer support is terrible. They don't care about their customers. Um, you know, you just say anything about that business and then you are like, oh, if I built a business, it would be completely different. It would be, you know, really, I would care about my customers. And yeah, you, you do. I mean, I care about our customers a hell of a lot. But as the business scales, all of a sudden you can't service every single person. So you're hiring people to do it best. You're instilling a culture, but you're always relying on other people to do that. And you realize that when a business gets that size, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to be able to sort of make sure that everyone's serviced in the way that you want them to be serviced. And yeah, overall, I think that you're just providing sort of the same product that you were providing when you were a small niche business. Do you have any like principles or like habits that you have learned that has helped you to with this scaling or any like, like we, we read like scaling up, I don't know, I don't know scaling up. Yes. Uh, good book. book. I don't know. So what helped you, what informed you, how did you sort of, what are the principles you put into scaling up? Because it's quite interesting how quickly you have scaled. Yes. I think what I'm focused on, which has been, I think, quite an effective methodology, is finding systems that aren't scalable and putting the people that are going to look to scale the system and create the bigger system into that system that's not scalable. So as an example, let's look at Revix. Let's think about, okay, right, we do this rebalance every single month. And this is a bit of like a sell at the same time. So every yeah, single yeah. time you invest in our crypto bundles, uh, you'll own, let's say, the top 10 cryptocurrencies equally weighted. And then yeah. at the end of the month, some of those would have performed better than others. And we need to then sell some of the top performers, buy some of the underperformers, and then equalize your, your holdings within this, this yeah. uh, bundle. Now, oh, it's also involved you doing that with a million rand. Cool. Like, no problem doing that with a million rand. Doing that with 100 million or 500 million rand, that is kind of scary. So how do you actually make sure that you know that rebalance happens? Because that's a fully automated algorithmic process. So how do you make sure that all the checks and balances and whatnot are there um, as you've now scaled up and you've got a lot more money? You make one small error there, it's going to cost you millions, right? And how do you deal with that, right? I can jump in and you can look at sort of solving every single thing yourself or you find somebody that is a specialist in that. Uh, so our CFO, as an example, he would come in and you'll be able to say, right, I understand how to do this manually. So like, fantastic, the system can do it, but I will double check it. Um, and this is just one area, I suppose, of scaling up. I can then look at checking that. And then you can put a, a set of uh, checks and balances in to make sure that when this runs in the future, that this process actually works. And if you think about that, maybe from like a... Uh, you know, deposit standpoint as well with Revix. Great. So we go from 500 deposits to 1,000 deposits 
in a day, right? We need a recon, all of that. Now you can either sit there and go on Excel and go like that matches, this deposit we've received on the system matches what's in the bank. Click, 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 click. It'll take somebody the entire day. But if you can get, again, somebody that's uh, going to be looking at implementing this automated system, they can look at that system. They can understand how to do it manually. And then when the devs or whoever works on actually making this more automated, they can step in and go like, have you thought of this? Because there's always the nuances, uh, which I think is quite interesting. And I think the, the most important thing as well that I think I've realized over the last few months is hiring more people can actually be more of a problem than assistance because you forget that you have to onboard them. Potentially, you have to then give them notice that has emotional impacts. Like, you know, there's a lot more to it than just hiring more people. So what do you do instead of hiring more people? You're looking at automating systems. And I don't know if you've heard of the book System Thinking. Uh, I would really recommend it. I forget who the author is now, um, but it's or Thinking in Systems, sorry. Uh, Thinking in Systems is a book about applying a system to absolutely everything you do. And one thing we've done exceptionally well is applying a system. Now, you again, you have to sort of implement that manual process before you implement the more automated process, but it is that system in every single area. Like in my opinion, um, routine, which is a system really, uh, routine sets you free. Like getting into a routine, being able to like not have to think about certain things, knowing exactly where something is in your cupboard. Like those are all sort of micro routines. And I find that all really sort of adds up. So within Revex, we've sort of implemented that across the board. I mean, you don't want to have like a policy manual of saying like, this is how you do everything because you do want creativity as well. But there's certain areas where you're like, listen, there's a more optimized system that could be implemented here. Uh, please go ahead and implement it, make it better and give people the ability to try and improve systems. Yeah. So, so I suppose one of the things about Revix is that and any organization, is it oxygen or cash is important for you to grow and scale? So people, all those sorts of things. And you obviously took took care of that for the short term with that $4.1 million, $4 million investment. And so I really wanted to ask, like, how difficult was that? And what did you learn through that process? Because I think there's a lot of South African businesses who have maybe the technology, maybe aren't able to scale just yet. So that's one challenge. So they're not ready for the investment. But there's those that are, but are struggling to get the investment. So, I mean, do you have any advice or any tips on, on how you went about it successfully? So <laughs> I've wanted to say this for a long time, and I haven't said this on any other podcast or radio show or anything like that that I've spoken to. I come from the world of finance, right? My parents are in finance. My background is all finance. I have a very wealthy network of individuals. And raising capital, even for a business that was growing at over 20% month on month, was incredibly challenging. It was the most challenging thing I can say I've ever done in my entire life. Um, Sometimes you get lucky, right? Sometimes you get introduced to somebody, they don't need to do a lot of due diligence, uh, or maybe they do need to do a lot of due diligence, but it's just the right fit. And the investment happens and you, you know, you smile. Most cases, it's just a case of like numbers, right? You need to speak to loads of investors to find somebody that is interested in your business. Uh, you've then got to also, you know, manage operations because you don't have you know, unlimited personnel within the business. And that becomes incredibly challenging. So managing the growth of this operation, especially if it's growing fast, right? Because that's this sort of irony, right? Your business is growing really fast, which means you need to focus on the business, but you also need to raise funding. So you need to be spending a lot of time there. So how do you manage that? Then you need to be hiring during this process. So you're sort of juggling a lot of balls at the same time. And what, 95% of businesses don't really fail. And I mean, again, I've just made that set up, but they don't fail because of product market fit, but they fail because of they just run out of cash, right? Before they've actually been able to properly implement their product and stuff. Now, I was completely cash obsessed. Like I knew every single day down to the rand how much money we had left, how much you know, capital we were going to require then obviously to grow this business. 
And I don't think I've ever been more stressed in my entire life. I mean, I, during this period as well, I, I'm just, I seem to be good at going through breakups, but I went through a breakup over that period. That was devastating. I mean, there was a moment where I literally, I, things had just ended with my girlfriend at that, at that point of like two years. She had been my support structure. Uh, she had taken like the, the, the cat that was in my apartment. It was her cat, but she had taken the cat. I was then having to pitch to investors and like begging them for a million dollars at that point. Like we were looking to raise a million, not four million um, and talking to them about, uh, you know, putting money into this business that I'm so passionate about, but being so stressed about the amount of money that we had left that I'll just never forget it. I literally sat there and I was like, I think I'm going crazy. Like, I'm so surprised I'm not completely bald right now. Um, but anyway, that was an incredibly interesting experience and totally humbling, right? Because every single time you see somebody else raise money, you're immediately like, holy hell, man, congratulations, like, well done. And maybe sometimes like somebody's got lucky, right? But it is so, so difficult. And to like every other person that, you know, that started a business and is looking to raise, even if it's 100,000 rand, 200, I mean, the number actually is irrelevant, right? If it's a million dollars, 100,000 rand, like raising money is damn, damn, damn difficult. And for everyone that like wants to go out and, you know, raise money for their business, I'm 100% behind helping you. So you just please reach out to me. Uh, in, if there's any connections, obviously, that I could put you in touch with, you know, I will do so. But it is like the best advice I have is just, you know, be prepared to, to spend about double the amount of time to actually raise that money. And I think be prepared for the biggest challenge ever, because I don't think there's a single business where it's just super easy to, to walk out there and raise capital. I think the hardest thing, the thought is asking for money when you need it, right? The, the yeah. banks always want to lend you money when you don't need it. Um, yeah. And, and so how did you overcome that? Because obviously that's an inner demon. You know more than they do about how desperately you want this money. How would you cope with it? Would the acting come into it? Would it be, uh, you know, balancing yourself? And, and I suppose the other thing was doing it all on Zoom. So you, you can't even like flash a smile and shake the hand and uh, all that sort of stuff. The traditional okay. things that we were taught. Yeah. Every single cent that we raised was through these sort of conversations, through Zoom calls. There was never an in-person meeting. I mean, this was from what, from July last year, July 2020, through to, I guess, four or five months ago. So, I mean, all during that COVID period. So, yeah, I mean, I think about it now and I'm like, wow, that makes things, I guess, a bit more challenging as well. But what I did is I did something that I guess was, that isn't conventional. And it's not something I'd recommend other entrepreneurs do, but maybe this is something that sort of, I don't know, lines with my character, I doubled down. I was like, well, I've got 90% of my wealth in Revix. Screw it. Like if I lose 90% of my wealth, I'm equally as screwed as if I lose 98% of my wealth. So I doubled down and I put pretty much all the remaining money I had in the business actually to lead the round to say like, I believe in this. Um, and that's not, it wasn't a significant amount of money, but it was enough for other investors to go like, oh, hell, okay. Like I will, you know, back this guy that's doing that. The other thing I did is I gave... Uh, essentially quite a big chunk of Revex to a now a very good friend, but a, a guy that I met that's based in Liechtenstein called Max Heinzel. Um, and I mean, I didn't give it to him. He bought into Revex's equity at a discounted valuation and he got a fairly significant uh, equity stake for doing so. But getting him on our side, you know, when you meet somebody that you just like, hold this person's remarkable. He's like a Chris Seabrook, uh, just a German version that's maybe 30 years younger. But when you meet somebody like that, you're just like immediately, you know, this person is going to do a lot of big things with their business and they're going to introduce you to a whole bunch of other people. And he had raised a lot of money before. Now, it was always great for me because I'd been sitting on the side that was always giving money 
but I didn't really realize just how challenging it was being on the other side. I mean, when you see somebody pitch, you forget that they've pitched to, you know, 200 other people, you know, hundred other companies and whatever. And there's like pitching fatigue and like constant nerves around like, what is this person going to say? And like, where are we with the company? So the operational stuff is not something you really experience uh, when you are giving out the investment funding. Um, and he was such a big win for us because that's that discounted investment stake that I gave him aligned him not only, you know, now we're very good friends, but not only aligned him from a business standpoint, but also aligned him from like a business, well, not from an investment standpoint, but from a business standpoint, because his business and our business now have quite a few synergies. So, you know, we're sharing licenses across regions. Uh, we're looking to expand uh, into the United Kingdom together. Um, that company is also in the financial services space. So there was all these other synergies that came from that. So I think getting people on your team that are aligned sort of with what you're wanting to achieve is just a really uh, it's an easy way to sort of leverage um, your time and to leverage what you're looking to get. Yes, yeah, so that partnership story, right? But I mean, it's all coming down to relationships as well. Like you trusted this guy to do certain things and, and what informed that trust? Like, is it because of experience and what he'd achieved before or was it you were just desperate to get some help and, and was, was it that as well, having someone on the outside almost broking the deal for you to help you to give you that confidence again? Um, I think it's that feeling you get when you meet someone and you're like, there's something about you that's just wow. Um, and that's really the feeling with Max. It was just like, this guy is remarkable. He's either remarkable at sales, which he is as well, but he's either remarkable at sales, he's remarkable at life. He's just a remarkable individual. He's somebody that you just can be in a room with and you're like, wow, like how do you know so much? Or, you know, how are you so well connected? And it was sort of just like, I need that person on my team. Now, I can't hire you. I mean, even if I think if I raised $40 million, I still wouldn't be able to hire him. Um, he's not in it for the money. I think it's much like what I would do now. Like, I don't think there's any amount of money that would pull me out of Revix. But just getting that person on the team and that trust, mm, I can't really tell you where it comes from. I think no. it is just like a function yeah. of how you feel and the gut intuition that you have. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? But um, so, I mean, the, the partnerships have gone further than that. Now you're sort of going to Germany and you're partnering up with some banks there. Um, you know, I was speaking to the guys at SnapScan and they were saying that, you know, it, it's um, it, it's great to grow organically with like digital marketing, but partnering up with someone like Standard Bank and then the guys at Lululand, it was a similar sort of conversation. They partnered up with Vodacom. Are you finding that that's a big driver to partner up with these financial institutions in these different locations? So hopefully we do have some interesting news potentially in the not too distant future that I'll be able to publicly disclose on that front, but it has become a lot easier. So, I mean, part of the reason that I was really excited about raising our initial capital from Subvest, so we raised to start with about $300,000 to build sort of the basic MVP um, of Revix. And I was excited about that because they're a JSC listed company. So crypto, not that trustworthy just as a you know category throw in a listed company and all of a sudden okay they're a little bit more trusted three years track record um the highest i mean we're the highest rated on google and on trustpilot investment platform uh, in africa which is something we pride ourselves on if you you know reach out to our customer support team we reply to you in the average of 13 minutes instead of like what you're used to with a bank or whatever which is you know over 20 hours or so so yeah i guess in a nutshell um that's what we are priding ourselves in more than absolutely anything. And yeah, going forward, it's, it's, I think the, the relationships definitely come a lot easier when you start getting a bit of momentum. It's like life, right? When things are going good, they just seem to just get better and better and better until something happens and then things change. Um, but 
on the business mm-hmm. front, it's been a case of like, we've seen exponential growth. I mean, I'm talking growth. Honestly, there's no model that I had put that I'd built. I mean, my entire previous life was building financial models. There's no financial model that I could have put on paper that showed Revix's growth. Uh, which is very seldom, I think, the case for a lot of businesses. But that's something I'm incredibly grateful for. But it does mean that there's all these other partnership opportunities. So the bank based in Munich is Bankhaus von der Heidt, uh, BVDH for short. Uh, so we're partnering with them. They provide a full regulatory license for us to launch into Germany. Um, and if you can imagine sort of having crypto on the same platform as traditional investments, and in particular looking at themed-based investments, so being able to invest in AI, like an AI ETF alongside Bitcoin or alongside a Revix top 10 bundle, that's sort of what we're looking to offer. And going one step further and saying, well, maybe consider the fact that you actually never have to uh, go from cash into an investment. You can just go from Bitcoin into an investment. And then my ultimate goal, I think, with Revix, and there's, I guess, a few different routes that we'll do to get here. But my ultimate goal is I think the idea of cash is rather silly. Like your money is not productive when it's sitting in cash. So if you're able to sort of create a means for people to own, let's say, Tesla shares, or let's say the S&P 500 or Bitcoin, and then for that to be liquidated into a coffee that you buy, right? So like some of your Apple shares can be sold off and immediately used to buy a coffee from your local coffee shop. That's to me sort of where we're wanting to go because that's what the future of finance is all about, the future of investing and the future of money. I mean, at the end of the day, money is meant to be a unit of account. It's meant to be a store of value. Uh, You go and you print 20% of all the dollars in circulation, like inflation's coming. It's just when. And for me, I've, I've removed as much of my money. I mean, I've put a lot of money into Revix, I suppose. I don't have too much money left. But I've told people as well, like, I truly believe that you will see the demise of the RAND. You'll see the demise of fiat currencies that we know them today, fiat currencies being dollars, pounds, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if crypto is going to be the next currency of the future. I mean, it could be, it couldn't be. I mean, I've built an entire business around it, so I really do hope it will be. But I don't think that you're going to have the currency that we know today that's going to be around in 20 years' time. I think you will see currencies as we know them today to go extinct and some new means of value transfer being introduced. And, I mean, we'll see if that plays out. Maybe we can have a follow-up podcast there. Sure. But, I mean, look, I think that's one debate, right, which is what you're talking about, which is the how are we going to be trading? And people certainly are because it has less friction in so many ways, like international buying, like we want to buy things... Um, obviously, the you know the scale of growth of some of the bitcoins, those things are a bit scary, like you mentioned. So, but for me, the other thing that's quite exciting about what you're doing is you're doing that that tracking of the best performing. And if you're doing that with AI and other new type of industries that are exciting, you talk about e-games and those sorts of things. That sounds hell of a uh, exciting. Um, to look at things that you're passionate about and understanding because traditionally at the moment there isn't those sort of capabilities, right? To invest no. in those those direct technologies. And so, so well, what, is, what sort of shaped that thinking? Because that is quite innovative. Well, I think the idea really is that if you look at some very wealthy investors, again, I've spent a lot of time with wealthy people uh, managing their money, not rubbing shoulders with them, having drinks, but you see a common trend amongst these individuals. And most of the time, it's a case of investing in either private businesses or high growth assets. And they've got the ability to do that. I mean, very few, I mean, sure, people can come from wealth, of course, and then they just passed wealth down from generations. But somebody along the line did something that was risky and that blew up and that made a lot of money, right? And I think a lot of people don't quite understand. And I mean, this was an exercise that actually like forced me into entrepreneurship. So I can recommend 
people to do this. Maybe it's going to be a little bit nerdy. So let's just see. I'll, I'll explain it and then I'll continue with sort of why we got into uh, the theme stuff. But what I did is essentially you, the way you value a company is you look at all the future cash flows, the projected cash flows of that business. So you say this year, Apple is going to make, call it $500 billion in revenue. And then you say, right, that's worth $500 billion today. Then you, next year, it's going to make, call it $750 billion, And you take the inflation rate and you discount that cash flow back. And then you try to do that for as many years in the future as possible. And that's actually the value of that company. Now, if you do that for yourself, so you say, listen, right now I'm making X amount. Uh, next year, I expect to be making X amount. The year after that. And you discount all of those back. All of a sudden, you realize your net worth, like your technical net worth based on all those discounted cash flows are sort of the number that you look at and you're like, oh, Sean's worth X amount. And that is scary. That to me, I looked at the number and I was like, no way, I'm definitely not going to be worth that much. And that like forced me because the only way that I was going to be able to increase my value was by starting a business, right? Or like doing something that would be completely weird and wacky and, you know, going and gambling or, you know, taking high risk bets in the stock market and stuff wasn't the thing that I wanted to do. So that forced me to get into entrepreneurship. Now, the idea around the themes that we want to offer, I mean, crypto is essentially one of these themes, is that over time, there's going to be a lot of hits and misses, right? And remember that an investment can go up. Let's look at Ethereum right now. It's gone up, I mean, since launching about 45,000%, right? I mean, investments can increase a lot in value. They can decline 100% only, right? So you've got something called an asymmetrical return, which means that the high performers really perform well. And the, obviously the duds, they, they lose value, they fall out of favor. But the thing is that if you get a, like a high performer investment and you land up getting like a Ethereum, we land up holding it to like our top 10 bundle that's done exceptionally well, or investing in medical cannabis or investing in esports or like an area that you're passionate about. Not only are you drawn to it because you feel more engaged about it, you learn about the area that you're investing, in, which means that you learn more about investing and managing your money, which is, I think, ultimately what Revix is looking to do to empower everyday people to actually manage their own money. I don't particularly think it makes sense that people are consistently trusting third parties to manage their money. I think there's very little value added um, in that whole entire sort of sphere. A lot of um, evidence coming, that shows yeah. that, I think totally. the evidence is there to show that an index way of betting bet across the, the market, you're guaranteed more, a better return than... On average, without a doubt. On, on average. Yeah. 80% and, of the time, you're going to beat the market. Definitely. And that's really what we're trying to say with Revix is... You want to invest in an area that you believe in. Fantastic. You can do so. Right now, if I say, like, you want to go and invest in artificial meat, you'll be like, oh, I don't know what where to do or where to go for that. I would, I would um, invest in that. Yeah. Beyond yeah, meat. I, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, beyond meat's just one stock, right? So it's like, yeah. Yeah, I want to invest in crypto and go and invest in Bitcoin. But it's like, yeah. there's actually so many other companies. There's actually a psychedelics investment opportunity that's come out as well. So, oh, wow. yeah. So fascinating. Is that, is that from the mushrooms? Is that from the mushroom guys? In, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, it goes way more weird and wonderful than that. You're looking at Instagram accounts that you potentially can invest in in the future, right? Like Instagram accounts with a whole bunch of influencers, you know, that has value, right? So people want to potentially invest in that. Uh, Pokemon cards are doing exceptionally well. How do you get exposure to Pokemon cards as an investable category? People want to invest in fine wines, classic cars, sneakers. I mean, Yeezys provide, I think, the highest return out of any single investment category that exists out there. I mean, sneakers is like one of the, the highest grossing areas. Um, something else which I thought blew my mind recently uh, was uh, looking at, I don't know if you've seen NBA Top, Shops, uh, Top Shots, which is essentially a, oh, it's a long story, but you can buy, just like you would buy like a pack of Pokemon collectible cards, you could buy a 
a pack of moments, as they call it. And these are like the top moments of the NBA. And you'd buy this lucky draw pack and they would get five moments in this pack. And it could be LeBron James doing something or it could be whatever moment in the NBA. Um, and if you got obviously these really rare moments, every single time those are aired on CNBC in the future, you receive some royalties. And that is super cool, right? And people trade these these cards or these moments um, using the Ethereum blockchain, which is super cool. So the future is going to be weird. And like investing is, you know, it's doing this. This is now, this, all the stuff's out there. Um, I think in South Africa, though, you are quite restricted to being able to invest in these different areas. And we're trying to like, you know, drop those barriers and make it more accessible. For sure. I've noticed my son who's 21, his friends are all fixated with investing in different things. And maybe it was because of um, COVID where they're at home, they couldn't earn money. It's hard to get jobs for these young guys. They're obviously intelligent. They want to make money. It seems there's a big push now towards investing in not just Bitcoin, but different asset classes like you're mentioning. Are you seeing Definitely. that? Are you seeing this excitement around? It's almost like trendy. Definitely. I mean, investing has become a bigger thing because people, well, firstly, there's a lot of money in the system, right? I mean, there's too much money in the system. It's cheap money. Completely, completely. But remember, the people say cheap money and then they talk about inflation, right? And this is maybe a little off topic for what you were asking, but you talk about like inflation. So people go, okay, well, I don't know, the price of milk has increased by X amount for the last seven or eight years. The milk hasn't actually changed in price at all or not changed in value at all. The rands become weaker or the pounds become weaker. And that's what people don't see. Um, when our grandparents say, oh, you know, back in my day, it cost two cents to do X, Y, Z. Like, that was, it's still the same thing, going to see a movie, going to buy an Apple, whatever, whatever, that asset is still the same as it is today. That's the currency that's become so much less, it was so much uh, worth so much less. And I think that's what people need to realize as well, is like, you know, you've got a lot of money in the system right now, that needs to go somewhere. And you're just seeing asset prices increase, increase across the board. That's why you've seen crypto now, you know, sort of get to where it is. You've seen stocks hit all-time highs. Uh, you know, gold's pulled back recently, but I'm almost certain gold's going to start, you know, roaring again in the not too different, uh, distant future as soon as inflation creeps through again. So yeah, it's an exciting time, I suppose, to be in the investing space. And I think it's important as well for people to actually look at invest. Remember, trading is one thing, right? I always look at a sort of a spectrum where you've got traders on the one end, so people that are very active with their money, savers on the other end, very you know passive, put their money into like a money market account with their bank or like a just little savings account. And then you've got investors which sit in the middle, which identify as I'm putting my money into something, I hold it there for an extended period of time. That's sort of who we target at Revix. The traders, I mean, it's like the casino heads, sports bettors, et cetera, et cetera. Like we're really trying to focus on people that are longer term in nature. And that's where I think you can get a lot of value because you don't look at, remember that just the one or two X return. Um, it's great if your investment goes up hundred percent, you can see this opportunity of seeing, you know, 10 X or 11 X, 12 X in certain investment categories. And that's really, I think the big opportunity. Wow. Well, you've convinced me, Sean, I'm going to be investing in Revix, that's for sure. So um, I'm sold. It was great having you on this podcast. I think my final question is, you're obviously looking at expanding internationally. What are your thoughts on the African continent in, in tech generally in Africa? What are, your, what are your thoughts there? It's the biggest opportunity of our entire generation. It is by far the biggest opportunity. I look at South Africa, I look at Botswana, I look at Nigeria. You are not 
given nearly the same options, certainly from a fintech standpoint. I'm sure it's everywhere across the board. I'm obviously just in fintech. But you go to the US, you go to the UK, you go to Europe, you're completely spoiled with options that are low cost. And I mean, in five or 10 years time, those options will be in these other markets. It's you know, companies hopefully like Revix and other you know, ambitious entrepreneurs that are hopefully listening that are going to go make that happen. But I don't see a big opportunity in our lifetime. I mean, China's obviously growing. The whole of the East has, you know, it's been growing. That's been the last 10 to 15 years. I, I would be surprised if the next 10 to 15 years growth doesn't come from where we are in South Africa and um, the rest of Africa. What do you say to those young people like my son who are always looking at their eye overseas at experience? What would you say to them? Get it. Get some international experience. Um, okay. And then I think and then you'll come realize... back quickly. Sorry? And then come back quickly and set up a business. Come back quickly, but also you get such a good understanding of different markets being in different places. So like go there with humility. Be like, I'm just open to learn. When somebody talks about something, they can be in all intents and purposes completely wrong, but you're just absorbing information from them. And I think that includes go see the rest of Africa, right? Like go look, because it doesn't, if you're sitting in a region, I mean, sure, you see the man on the street, but like what actually drives that region's growth? Um, I think the opportunity from a fintech standpoint, I mean, remember, like there's no linear growth. There's no such thing as linear growth, I suppose, in Africa. It's always like jagged. There's like these big spikes up and then down, up and down. And I think, you know, currently you're going through a bit of a dip at the moment, but three or four years down the line, I mean, is there going to be more growth in Africa or is there going to be more growth for anywhere else in the world? I'd be surprised if it's, if it's not Africa. For sure. It's going to be here. It was amazing having you on the podcast. Uh, I'd love to go for a run with you sometime and uh, catch up again. Definitely going to get you back on board. So Excellent. thanks so much for your insights and time. No, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And yes, let's definitely do that run. I'll, I'll be competitive. <laughs> <though. laughs> <laughs> It'll be a jog. It'll be a jog. Yes. Definitely.